Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm holding right now one of the prettiest books I've held in a while. And it's been written by Dr. Josh and Jen Mulvihill. It's called 50 Things Every Child Needs to Know Before Leaving Home, Raising Children to Godly Adults. This is a spectacular book filled with wisdom, insights, and things you can learn, and it will help you navigate your way through this season of life. And Josh is with me today. Josh, welcome. Hey, hey, good to be back, Bill. Yeah, I'm not downplaying this at all. This is a beautiful book. You said this is your COVID project. Yeah, this was our, we called it our COVID baby. <laughs> we all had a little extra time at home. We uh, we gave birth to a book, so here it is. Yeah, and it uh, it is 50 things every child needs to know before leaving home. And tell me, really, how you got started on this idea, and how was it working with your wife, Jen, on this project? Well, with my wife, Jen, it was uh, it was a joy. Uh, and I'll actually share a funny little story. So Jen and I were we met when we were assigned to be writing partners at Northwestern as freshmen, hmm. uh, our first day of school. And she we had to we had to assess each other's writing. And uh, she, my I'll just say my writing was not very very good. It was filled with red marks from Jen. <laughs> she, she is herself a very good writer, and so it's kind of funny. Uh, Twenty some years later, now we actually wrote uh, wrote something together, and it it uh, it was a it was a joy to do together. Fun project. Yeah. Now we get now we get the joy of actually speaking together with it. So that's a that's a fun outlet. But um, kind of this actually started in my childhood uh, based on my parents. Uh, so when I was seventeen, my mom and dad invited me to go to breakfast with them. Um, kind of the year between my junior and senior year of college and uh, uh you know I'm the oldest of four so going out to eat alone with your parents at a restaurant wasn't a common occurrence so you, you they didn't tell me why back of my head I'm wondering you know did I do something that I'm in trouble <laughs> for what's the, what's the deal here but when we sat down for breakfast they slid a piece of paper across the table to me and they said you know, Josh, you're leaving for college in about nine months, and we want to put the finishing touches on our time with you in our parenting. And uh, is there anything on this piece of paper that you don't feel like we've accomplished in your life? And I had never seen that piece of paper before, but it was, you know, my childhood and my teen years flashed before my eyes. It was <laughs> what they had deemed as important mm-hmm. and the things they were working on with me throughout my uh my my childhood and there was you know char- check marks and dates next to things that they were working on you know a lot of them that are common such as character traits uh you know spiritual habits like prayer and the and bible study but also things like manners and the ability to shake a hand and make an introduction and uh, you know, i remember you know, a whole bunch of things were on there but they they asked is there anything on here you don't feel like we've accomplished and 
I do remember seeing small engine repair. And saying, <laughs> that one, uh, yeah. I'm not mechanical, so they crossed that off the list graciously. Uh, but they had essentially said, um, you know, they invited me to really to assess their parenting. Uh, and uh, they were really, really trying to be intentional with us as children. And um, and so that's where kind of the, the genesis of this started is, you know, that carried over for Jen and I into our parenting, just wanting not to be just Christian parents, but intentional Christian parents. And most of us have heard that if you have goals and keep them in front of you, you tend to be more uh, effective and impactful. And, uh, you know, many of us, we have goals for all kinds of areas of our life, whether it's finances or retirement or even building a home. We've got you know, blueprints, uh, but many of us haven't thought about what would it look like to be intentional in our parenting. So um, we, you know, we kind of took that with us into our parenting. And then as a pastor, um, I you know, have always, you know, as a pastor, you have a lot of opportunities to see different family styles and, and how parents operate. And it was pretty eye-opening for me to see that that this just wasn't the norm for a lot of parents. The intentions are there, obviously. Uh, we all want to see our kids succeed and to grow up to be mature, healthy, godly young men and women. Um, but sometimes just that um, the day-to-day grind of parenting is where we're living, and we're not thinking out a lot uh, in, in any kind of intentional um goal-based planning. So this book really helps parents with the big picture and very specific kinds of things that help them think through where's my child at, whether they're young or older, and what do we need to be working on in the next season, and a really good tool for discipleship in that way. Josh, I'm I'm going back to when you and Jen met in uh, freshman year in college, and she was critiquing your writing. Was it because you were writing, Jen, would you like to have pizza and go to a movie uh no i you know i did the total thing like uh you know pace in the room at the phone and call up the lady that doesn't know you and see, i called her she said who josh who You're the guy you uh just tore apart in our writing class oh, funny. But, yes but no but i uh i would have loved to have some kind of romantic story in writing we didn't have that though but yeah well, let's, uh, and I'm also a big fan of your dad. Remember last time we were uh, together, we brought him into the show and had a chance to talk to him as well. And so I appreciated uh, talking to him as well. But That's let's, right. Yeah. You did meet him, yeah. Yeah, and one of the things you want to leave home with when you graduate is the four-digit uh, PIN number on the back of his ATM card. That's also helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, I... Uh... Our kids cost us so much money, but it's a blessing, isn't <laughs> I, it? I know, I know. So let's get back to the book because I, I highly encourage people to you know, get a copy of this book. If you've got uh, kids, young kids you're, you're raising, or maybe you're a grandparent and you want to uh, read and, and help uh, with your, your children and their kids, I mean, it could be a big family activity, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. The, we, definitely an opportunity for grandparents. On a couple of fronts. Uh, one is it's a good conversation starter to say to an adult child, you know, we would love to support what you're doing. We'd love to uh, to help in any way that we can. You know, here are some ways that that could happen. Is there any ways we could we could uh, we could plug in? And it becomes a good conversation starter. Um, our my dad did that with us with Jen and I. He 
approached us and said, uh, we'd love to know what you're doing as parents and just how we could plug in. And uh, this is maybe one of those kind of conversation starters. It also is a really helpful gift for um, for an adult child who needs some framework or would benefit from some kind of um, I call it a guidebook, not necessarily a cookbook. Cookbooks are the exact ingredients. This is more of a kind of a, a helpful guide down the path. And it, you know, for uh, for a lot of individuals that just did not have the kind of role model um, that they wish they they could have had, this provides some some help in that way. So mm. multiple fronts. Yep. Yeah, Dr. Josh Mulvihill is my guest. He's written a beautiful book with his wife Jen called Fifty Things. Every child needs to know before leaving home, raising children to godly adults. One of the things here in the book is trained to worship God through family worship. Now, family worship can be a challenge for many. You've got some incredibly good tips here for family worship. Yes. So family worship is one of the key cornerstones. You know, our kids are they're going to worship something, uh, whether it's the real God or some replacement. And so family worship is a key to helping them have their affections towards the true God, the the, the real God. And uh, I love what G.K. Chesterton says. You know, he says, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. <laughs> In other words, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, uh, it, it family worships, it's a challenge, honestly, at times, both from a consistency standpoint and just children being interested and engaged until it becomes a habit. And that becomes much, much uh, easier. Uh, but a couple things we've done with our family that have been real good. Uh, we, we do family worship during dinner because at the end of dinner, actually, because I think food is the secret weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, you know, it occupies young children and children as they're doing things, they can listen. Um, we have, we purposefully, when we started, we kept it really brief, like five to eight minutes brief, read a couple, couple, uh, passages of scripture, have some conversation, call it good. Um, that was, that was kind of the essence of it. Um, I like to encourage families to read the Bible rather than someone's thoughts about the Bible. So our curriculum is God's word itself. And there's a lot of great, uh, kind of commentary esque things out there. Um, and those, there's no problems with those, but we, we, we want to be, our, our main meal is God's word. Um, and, uh, as our kids have gotten older, we now have a couple teens in the house. We've now given them the opportunity to start leading some of the reading or discussion time. And we have a few books that we use, kind of catechism s books. Uh, one of our favorites is my first book of questions and answers by a lady named Corrine McKenzie. Uh, it's for younger kids, kind of preschool, early grade school age. So we have five kids, some younger still. And We'll hand that book to our teens and say, pick three questions, and they'll lead the discussion so they get to kind of um, become involved in it. But uh, but just the habit of that, of being in God's Word, not only does it begin to shape their hearts and their minds, their affection for God, um, but it tells them what's really important and the, the priority in our home, not only Christ himself, but God's Word, and um, that hopefully translates into a whole lot of wonderful things because God, you know, he promises his word doesn't return void. And we, we believe that. And we, um, you know, we want to see that true for our children. So 
Um, you know, we aim for three times a week uh, for dinner, and my wife does some reading in the morning um, with our with our kids. So we uh, we have a little more consistency, just um, morning versus evening, because you're out some some of the evenings. But um, you know, I'd say if it's not a regular habit, the best thing is you just get started and um, do it a couple of times and, um, and commit to that. And um, and God, um, that's the kind of the big that's the big starting point in the home um, that God honors that and it ma- makes a pretty big impact long-term. Yeah. The, the dinner uh, fellow worship time is only five to eight minutes. You could invite me as a guest presenter because that's about how much material I have. Oh, no, you're <laughs> fantastic. You'd fill that in, in a heartbeat. <laughs> I would hope so. All right. We're going to uh, take a short break. Uh, my guest is Dr. Josh Mulvihill. He's written a book with his wife, Jen, called 50 Things Every Child Needs to Know Before Leaving Home, Raising Children to Godly Adults. When I come back, I'm going to ask Josh about learning personal responsibility. That's a big one. We'll be right back. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity, in a special repeat performance. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Dr. Josh Mulvihill as my guest. He's written a book with his wife, Jen, called 50 Things Every Child Needs to Know Before Leaving Home. It's a beautiful book, lots of wisdom inside. All right, one of the things, Josh, is... um, that they would learn personal responsibility. I can't stress how important that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we love to see, uh, obviously we want to see responsible children, and uh, we, we think that happens through the combination of age-appropriate opportunity plus accountability. And uh, obviously the, the balance of that, uh, figuring that out as a parent with each child is a little bit of an art uh, you know, not giving too much opportunity or not enough um, for the age. But we learned this the hard way one uh, one year. We decided we were going to leave our kids home for the very first time. Uh, most, you know, parents that have uh, left their kids home for the first time, we often remember that. And for ours, us, it was really memorable because <laughs> we, had, we had a problem. Uh, we decided to take a 15-minute walk and you know, we gave kids instructions about you know, your 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 primary thing here is just to be safe. That's all we want. And uh, we were returning home from that short walk, and our second born came flying out the back door with a rag over his mouth and screaming at the top of his lungs. <laughs> I don't and, mean to laugh. Uh, yeah, well, I admonished him for being so loud. You know the people around us for hearing and he moved the rag from his mouth and tooth chunks started falling out. Oh no. And, uh, apparently what had happened when like the moment we got out of sight, they decided to play baseball in our, uh, in our house. We have an old farmhouse that's got a third floor attic and they decided to play baseball with a aluminum bat and real baseball. And he took one to the chop. Oh no. Uh, and I say that because that was, you know, that was irresponsible, but he, it broke off the front of his tooth. He only has a half a front tooth. Still to this day, we've tried to, you know, tried to uh, have a one glued back on and all. it just won't stay. So he only has a half a tooth and it is a literally a walking reminder to our children of irresponsible choices. And it was a teaching lesson with, with our children that some of these 
poor choices lead to lifelong consequences like you're going to have probably that tooth is going to get removed and you're going to have a fake tooth there the rest of your life. And of course, the sibling feels horrible that uh, smacked him in the face. Um, but we want, you know, we want to avoid um, not giving our children the opportunity to develop responsibility. Uh, failure is a strong teacher. And in this case, it was for our kids, um, but also having the accountability that they can grow and uh, and for themselves to have the motivation and the ability to, to govern their choices, to govern their time, to want to do good work, to want to manage themselves. And of course, if you know, if we don't give them the opportunity or we're doing everything for them um, or the environment is such that doesn't allow, that, that becomes a, a, a limiting factor for, uh, for our children. So we think the opportunities to teach children responsibility are, man, they're endless in our home. Literally any kind of small task, whether large or small, they're really a, an opportunity for us as parents to help kids um, become more mature, become more responsible, and uh, and we can utilize that in our home. And that's part of um, the intentionality piece that we can bring. If there are any of our kids that struggle with being responsible, that tasks don't get done, they get done poorly, there's not trust, there's a trust factor that's an issue there. You know, maybe as a parent, so that's one of the 50 things, maybe as a parent we say, you know, for this next season, we want to really focus on and work with our this child in the area of responsibility to try to help them grow in this uh, in this area, because we know as parents, if we launch a child into adulthood that doesn't have that skill of of being responsible, they're going to have consequences their whole life with, because of that. And so we want to you know we want to help shape them in this kind of way. So, um, yeah, so we learned as parents, you know, that was a, was a learning process for us and for our kids. That was a failure piece that was a strong teacher for, for them. Mm-hmm. Josh, if you were going to be a good, sympathetic dad, have you ever thought about having half of your front tooth removed? <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, just to show that no, kind of loving yeah. sympathy and I'm, I'm in this with you, son, and we'll go through this together. Nothing, huh? I'll, uh, yeah, I don't need to share in his failure. No. <laughs> All right. Well, God bless him. Um, let's talk uh, something about uh, in your book. I've, this caught my eye, and I love this because we've got you know holidays coming up, and this was confident as a host or a guest. I love mm. that. Yeah, um, a lot of people we have found are uncomfortable either inviting others into their home, thinking the their home needs to be a level of magazine perfection um, or simply do not know how to interact well, especially the younger generation. You know, they've looked at screens so much and their interactions are through screens that oftentimes the basics of carrying on a conversation and introductions just aren't there. So, you know, how do you how do you introduce yourself? How do you enter a room? How do you shake a hand from you know, web to web, a firm handshake, looking somebody in the eye, holding your head up? Um, it was interesting. We had a family in, approach us recently that said, all of your children are really confident 
uh, with others in in uh, in speaking. And I, you know, Jen and I never really thought of that, um, but we bring them. I end up traveling and speaking pretty regularly, and we bring our kids with us often. So they're, you know, they're engaged in all these different environments that they have to learn to interact with others. And so we have conversations with them going into that about here's how to hold yourself. Here are some things to think about as you are engaging with individuals and um, and the the you know the whole idea of hospitality in scripture with inviting people into our home it is such a huge piece of i believe of the christian life there's nothing more intimate than having somebody into your own house and uh, and i encourage um, this becomes really meaningful especially with a christian community and a pretty big training ground for kids just in helping prep the home, um, giving some of the reasons it's a service piece of why it matters. Um, we're having a group of fathers and sons over tonight that we are going to prep for after I get off today, um, that we are, you know, we're, we're, um, we're studying the book of Ephesians together and our boys are part of that. And they're going to help prep food and help pre- clean our home. Smart. And, um, that becomes just, a a, a, a part of life that is very meaningful and uh, in a day and age when um, we often, our lives are so isolated and separate, mm-hmm. um, that becomes a huge, huge value for our kids. I got two more things I'm going to hope we can cover in two minutes. Um, okay. Uh, personal hygiene and maintain a good appearance. If, if I'm one of the Mulvey Hill kids and I'm a boy, can I have a blue mohawk? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> oh, nice. Although we encouraged, um, maybe encourage away from that. But yeah, I mean, our, especially teenage boys, um, hygiene's not high on the list. (laughs) I've got two of them, so I can speak from experience. Um, But we want to not only with caring for our body, um, but appropriate dress in um, dressing for the right occasion. Um, We have a very casual dress um, society right now, and that's fine in a lot of ways. But when is it appropriate to dress up and wear? You know, what do you wear to a wedding and a funeral and to a job interview and um, to some? You know, those, that matters. So, um, you know, we're uh, we're working on how do you tie a tie for our boys, mm-hmm. and um, you know, those kinds of things are. You know, our important we our our boys get a, a shaver at a razor at 12 years old. That's kind of part of our one of our manhood rights. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so all those important. Yeah, we often, we often overlook it. Though. Yeah, I got my shaver at 12. But I didn't need it till I was 17. But thank you for bringing that up, <laughs> opening that wound again. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, Josh, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, this is always good to talk to you, and I want to do this again. I wished we had more time. But let's uh, continue this discussion because this is a beautiful book and I want people to know about it and I want them to get it. Well, that's great. appreciate it and uh, pray that it's a blessing to many. You bet. Dr. Josh Mulvihill has been my guest. His book is 50 Things Every Child Needs to Know Before Leaving Home, Raising Children to Godly Adults. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back. Are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance. Drive, 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 drive. The 
I think it's time to get a little vulnerable in the next half hour. I'm so glad to welcome John Seidel onto the program. He has had a history of uh, anxiety, life-altering OCD, and also some suicidal thoughts. And he knows the value of practical advice grounded in strong biblical truth. And he's written a book about it called Finding Rest, A Survivor's Guide to Navigating the Valleys of Anxiety, Faith, and life. He is the founder and president of the Veritas Creative. It's a digital media consulting and content creation firm. And he has spent the last decade working with popular organizations like I Am Second and The Courage. He's here to join me now. John, welcome. Bill, thank you so much for having me. I love when I get to come on these great Midwest programs. I'm originally from Wisconsin, so nice. um, I just I just love it. So this is your debut book. Congratulations. Um, what's your next book, or do you want to talk about this one? Yeah, right. <laughs> my next one is uh, Finding Peace. No, um, <laughs> uh, no one go out and buy that URL, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, congratulations. Uh, yeah. It's really nice to, to have uh, you as a, a first-time guest and a first-time author on the, on the uh, program. In your book... Uh, you really decided to write write about your own story, which I commend you on. Um, so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the work you were doing with I Am Second and, and really how it led you to write this book. So, you know, I was, at the time, it was about 2014, and I was in charge of all of the writing at I Am Second. So obviously a lot of people know that they make these great, powerful films with celebrities, uh, athletes, you know, you name it, they've been on there. And so I was hired to really create a, a writing engine that complemented the, the, the depths of the film, right, and, and really mirrored that vulnerability. And so I had built a team of freelancers and staff writers, and, and they were all talking about all these issues that they were having and how the Lord was really speaking into them. And there was kind of this Holy Spirit uh, tapping me on the shoulder saying, John, you're holding back. You know, like y- you could be talking about your uh, struggle as well. And I was like, Anything but that. I'll talk about anything <laughs> uh-huh. but that. And um, it just, you know, the Holy Spirit just kept happening. And so finally, I, I remember I, I locked the door to my office. I sat down and I said, and I typed out the, the title, It's Time to Tell the World My Secret. And so um, I came out and just really talked about struggling with anxiety and uh, OCD, um, being diagnosed in 2014. And, and then this was actually in 2016 that I was writing about it. So struggling with this for, for my whole life and then really coming to grips with it in the last two years before then. Um, and I can't tell you, uh, my goodness, Bill, the reaction that I got to that post was just incredible. And so that was really the impetus for the book. I mean, five years ago, really me coming out and it took five years uh, to, to really kind of learn and grow and have the Lord teach me things. And here we are now with the book. John, I'm so glad people loved on you when you came out with that. And it's uh, a, a testament to how important it is for people to show that kind of vulnerability. So I, I appreciate you doing that. But when it comes to anxiety and mental health, this is something that people are a little reluctant to want to admit to or talk about. They don't want to be seen as a person who is in trouble or, well, why aren't you turning this over to the Lord? Or um, So I'm curious as to your take on why, why bringing this 
conversation out in the open is just so important? You know, there's, there's two things. One is that when we bring these things to the light, they have less power over us, right? Whether, um, whether it's a sin struggle, which I'm not calling this a sin struggle, let me be clear, but whether it's a sin struggle or whether it's something that you are struggling with like this, when you bring it into light, it loses power over you. The second thing is when we call something by its name, when we don't pretend that it's not there, when we don't just dismiss it, when we name something, we have power over it as well. And so there's a chapter in the book called Call It By Its Name. And the idea is if you look back even just to the beginning of time, Bill, is like the, the, the Lord God gave us, man, dominion over the animals. And one of the ways that we asserted that dominion was by naming them, right? It kind of showed where we are in the hierarchy of creation. And so when, when we name our struggle and then bring it into the light, it loses power over us. That doesn't mean it just goes away and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But we uh, then get to a point where I say we can have a mental health struggle, we can have anxiety, we can have OCD, but it doesn't have to have us. And so that is why I really encourage people just get it out there, get it, get it out in the open, talk about it, and name it. Mm-hmm. But it's so true, John, though. You put it out in the light, and it starts to lose its power. And even, even um, just saying the words out of your own mouth uh, diminishes its grip. Um, I've found that to be true with when I do it. And when I hear other people talk about it after they have done it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things you say in your book, which I love is I want to tell your story. And this is the reader that would be hearing this. And you want to do that by telling your story. I I think I know where you're going with this, but I'd love for you to say more (laughs) about that. You know, I think one of the things, Bill, that I realized when I wrote that article for I Am Second back in 2016 was when I talked about the reaction I got, I did get a lot of support, and you mentioned that. But I also got a lot of heartbreaking responses, people saying, my goodness, you know, I've, I've, I've grew up in a faith tradition that said if I just prayed more, if I just had more faith, if I just repented of this and that, then all of this would go away, or that demonized um, the idea of getting medical help or taking medicine and saying that that was a lack of faith. And so what I, what I mean by that is when I say I want to tell your story by telling my story is that there are people who have been suffering in silence for a long time. And I cannot tell you how many people, how many messages that I get that say, man, I started reading this book and it was like I was reading my own story. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And 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 that's encouraging. Right. Because one of the things I talk about in the book and in some of the practical help is we need to be in community. Right. And now I know that like I, I, I can't physically be in community with everyone who reads this book. But if that draws them into community, if that draws them into an understanding that they can be open with others, that there are people like them out there, I think it's a win. And that's, again, when when the disorder starts losing power. Mm hmm. So in Finding Rest, and my guest is John Seidel, he's written his first book called Finding Rest, A Survivor's Guide to Navigating the Valleys of Anxiety, Faith, and Life. I, again, I want to go back to the fact that you're just uh, speaking from your truth about your life, and you've been very honest about it. And, of course, that always raises this question in my mind. How hard was it for you to do this? I know you've kind of answered that in, in some small part, but I'd love for you to say it some more because a lot of people listening to this right now, John, are going, I need to do this, but I'm too afraid. 
Yeah, and, and I would say that fear is real, right? I had that fear, and I, and I talk about a conversation in the book where I did have to talk to my mom, who um, was one of those people who um, really did believe for a long time that if you just had enough faith, if you just you know, confessed the right things over yourself, that you wouldn't struggle. And so I'm not going to pretend that it's the easiest thing, right? But what I can tell you is that when you do it, there is a freedom that, that, that does occur. And I would say this too, Bill. I mean, when I when I talked about in two, uh, coming out in 2016, you know, there was a fear, a real fear that, you know, all those who ever I, I I would ever work with or do business with or do life with would would kind of um, label me as the guy that, well, John, that's just your OCD kicking in, right? You know, maybe there's something I'm really passionate about at work, and I say, no, guys, we're doing this the wrong way. We really need to we really need to think about it this way. You know, I had this fear of, oh, John, that's that's just that's just that's just John and his OCD. Mm, interesting. Um, what I what I can say though is that, well, actually, that did end up happening one time. <laughs> After this, I can say that the freedom that I found in talking about it, and then the the encouragement that it has been for me to talk with others about it, far outweighs any of those you know, those momentary setbacks. And so I can, as someone who has been there, I can encourage you that it doesn't, you know, the weight of those times and moments is not as heavy as if you leave it inside. Mm-hmm. John, I'd love for you to uh, try to define OCD as it relates to anxiety. I don't know how those two, are they, are they cousins or how do they relate? And I know a lot of people have yeah. come to some very wrong conclusions on OCD and what it is. Yeah, you know, I think it's you know it's very common to you know people kind of throw it around as a term. Oh, that's just my OCD, right? Um, and I, by the way, don't get offended by that, you know. Uh, but what I tell people, so basically, it's like one of those middle school word problems where you have everyone <laughs> that has OCD yeah. has anxiety. Okay. Now, everyone who has anxiety has OCD, right? True. OCD is kind of a subset of anxiety, and really is a way that you kind of deal with the anxiety, right? So my OCD is called intrusive thought OCD. It's not necessarily the, you know, the Howie Mandel who washes his hands, you know, 250 times a day or checks the door locks, you know, 100 times before bed. Mine are thoughts that get in my head that I, that I just can't get out, right? And no matter how many times I, quote, unquote, try to take them captive, right, there's, there's things in my brain that doesn't allow me to do that. There's, there's levels that are off. There's synapses that are misfiring. And so OCD is kind of that it's, it's a subset and a type of anxiety, and it's not uncommon for anyone who has kind of a generalized anxiety disorder to have a little bit of that in them. Mm-hmm. John Seidel is my guest. We're talking about Finding Rest, his new book. So how would you like listeners or people who get a copy of this book uh, to use it? What, what would you suggest would be a, a good jumping-off point with this uh, book? You know, it's, it's funny you say that. My mother-in-law has um, a favorite a favorite line in the book, right? And and so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that line because it really answers the question. I tell people at the end of the introdu- introduction that I want them to read the book to find hope. I want them to use it to get help. And I want them to embrace it to find rest. And so the idea is that this is the start of a conversation, right? Now, maybe this is someone who you think, well, things are – I feel like I'm anxious, right? I feel like I can't – I have thoughts I can't get out of my head. Use the book to help you kind of make sense of that, right? Um, maybe you're someone who knows that you have these things and you're wrestling with 
how do I battle these, right? I try to be practical in the book as well. And then I especially chalk it full of physical um, uh, things that you can do, but also spiritual truths that you need to embrace to really find rest. So what I explain to people is, listen, rest in this sense is not an absence of all of your worry. It's not an absence of all of your trouble. Rest in this case is Think about it in the context of a war. There are battles in a war, and in between those battles, the soldiers go back uh, behind the front lines, and they and they they eat, they rest up, they they heal their wounds. We've been given the armor of God, and that assumes that we're going to be in a battle, right? So I, I, I'm not telling people just run away, and this is the way to get rid of the battle. But it's how to find rest and respite in them in the moments between those battles when you fight this. That is a great line from your book, John. But I'm mostly surprised that your mother-in-law has read it. Yeah, <laughs> I tell you what, my mother-in-law. You know, a lot of people have a, a, a ten, uh, tension-filled relationships with their in-laws. Me and my in-laws, I tell you what, we have a great relationship, and it's really great when you need a babysitter for your kids because yeah. you never have to worry about it. Well, here's a new surprise. Your mother-in-law is my next guest on the show, so we'll find out from yeah. her. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me take a little break. A little break. John Seidel is my guest. His book is called Finding Rest, A Survivor's Guide to Navigating the Valleys of Anxiety, Faith, and Life. We'll be right back. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity, in a special repeat performance. My guest, Jonathan Seidel, has been very honest about his own struggles with anxiety and OCD. He's written about it in his debut book called Finding Rest, A Survivor's Guide to Navigating the Valleys of Anxiety, Faith, and Life. And we've been chatting about this very topic, and I know there's a lot of people that struggle with mental health issues, and I would venture to say that there have been many more that have developed them in the last couple of years with all the craziness of the world and the COVID shutdown. And this book is a very timely book. Um, But, John, as we think about mental health issues, and let's talk a little bit about the church's response to people that are facing uh, some mental health issues. How are we doing in that department? Can we do better or maybe you can give us some tips or some help here? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think historically the church has not liked to talk about this, right? I do think that there is this underlying, and this goes from Baptist to Presbyterian to Pentecostal, right? Is that there's just, there is this kind of idea that if you just have enough faith, you just train up if you intend or, or if you do something like take medication, you're saying that you're, you don't have any of, uh, uh, of the faith that it takes. Um, and, and I think that's historically been the posture of the church. And now, obviously, I, I don't want to paint a wide brush and say that every church uh, across the, the, the globe uh, views it like that. But I think that's generally been the, my experience. And, and I can tell you from talking to people about this issue across the country that that's been their experience. And so... What I like to tell the church is there's there's three things 
you really need to do. And, and then I provide some other really, really concrete examples of what they can do in the book as well is you have to, first of all, admit it, right? Admit that it's in your pews. Listen, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of mm. preachers, you know, struggled with depression. He, he, he and his wife would often mentor young pastors and he would write to them about these periods that they will go through of melancholy, right? And, and he has this great quote. He says, I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. He, he had a lot of waves in his life, you know? And so one, we have to admit it, that it's in your pew. Two, point people upward. Yes, point us to Christ. You know, even though I say that this is a physical battle and spiritual battle, that doesn't mean I'm saying it's only a physical battle, right? And I'm not saying it's only a spiritual battle, but there are truths and deeper truths that we need to understand and learn. Listen, I, I say there are some deep-rooted heart issues in my life. There are uh, pride. There is a lack of trust. There is a, there is a, a want and need to, to control everything, right? Those are heart issues, right? So point me to the truth in Scripture on those things with the idea that I have to address the physical before I can ever address the spiritual, right? I mean, if I want to read a book, I have to put my, my glasses on, right? If I never put my glasses on, it doesn't matter how many times you tell me what's in a book, I will not be able to read it, mm, right? Good point. And so for me, I have to address the physical. So I take my medication, I get exercise, I change my eating habits, and I, and I make sure to get sleep, just to name a few, right? So then, so point us, point us upward, and then point us outward. Listen, I think too many times in this country, um, we 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 treat pastors as the end all be all, right? And so what I tell pastors is, pastor, I am freeing you up. Church leader, I am freeing you up. I am telling you that you don't have to have all the answers because too many times they're the, they're the, they're, they're the lead preacher, they're the counselor, and they're probably also the head janitor, right? And so there are so many things that they are trying to do on a week-to-week basis. So and it's okay to admit that if someone comes to you with a mental health issue and you're not equipped for that, find resources, find local counselors that you feel comfortable pointing them out to, and you can support them as they're finding help elsewhere. And so be humble enough to admit you don't have to have all the answers. John, I want to be super sensitive to church history on this subject because I know we we have good intentions and want to do our best to help people, but do you think that the church, in a way, have been a little reductionistic where we hear about a problem and then we instantly apply what we believe the solution to be? You know, Bill, I call this coffee cup Christianity, right, where someone may come to you and let's say they're struggling with, with an anxious thought or something, and, and we kind of just want to give them that, that, that verse that sits on a coffee cup. Well, here's a little Jeremiah 29, 11, mm-hmm. you, right? And, and, and we say that all these issues can be handled by this one verse. Right. Or, or well, you, you're anxious, John. Listen, Jesus says, don't be anxious. And I talked about in the book how a lot of times those scriptures were used not to help me, but they were used to minimize what I was going through. Right. Because the person didn't really know what to say. And so, again, I kind of come back to this idea of it's OK if you don't know how to truly help someone going through what, what I would call clinical anxiety. Mm-hmm. Right. And don't reduce it to this coffee cup Christianity that just says, well, the Bible says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John, you just need to meditate on that scripture. You know, no, there's more to that. Be willing to sit with me 
in my anxiety without having to feel like you have to come up with every answer. Yeah, I'm, I understand that. And if someone is having a diabetic attack and they need insulin, you don't just pop a verse to them. You help them <laughs> medically. Um, but exactly. Yeah. Um, so when you uh, wrote the book and you're on this journey and you had some mental health issues and some OCD and some suicidal thoughts and all that, what surprised you m- the most? What discovery did you make about yourself writing this book regarding your own mental health? You know, I think what I realized is that it's multifaceted, right? So I talked earlier about this idea that it's both physical and spiritual. I think when I first started on this road, I was looking for that, what's that one thing? What's that one thing that will just make this all go away, right? And what I found was there is no just one thing, right? And so, you know, I've talked a couple times just in passing about medication. Listen, there is no magic pill that makes this go away, right? Do I take a pill? Yes. But I also have to put in the work. And so what I realized is that this is a, is, is a mind, body, and spirit issue. And I have to address it wholeheartedly in all of those facets, right? So, so, so some people say, well, John, like, you, you have to focus more on the physical or more on the spiritual? And I say, yes. You know, it, it, it's really one of those, where, where are you deficient in this time of your life, right? And so really realizing that this is a, this is an issue that covers so much of who we are as a person. It's not just one thing that requires one answer. Mm. Well said. Um, when you talk about in your book, Finding Rest, you do say that anxiety isn't always a bad thing yet it has a negative connotation. Now, why, why isn't anxiety a bad thing? You have, you have some explaining to do here. Yeah, that's a great question. Listen, I'll, I'll, I'll start this way. Um, a couple of years ago, I went with some friends into the Alaskan bush. We took a plane. They dropped us off in the middle of nowhere. No roads, no nothing, right? If we needed to get out, we had to... You can stop the story a, right a, here. I don't want any, I don't yeah. want any nightmares. <laughs> Because I'm already having it. Yeah, right. And so, listen, I had a, I had a real and healthy anxiety that <laughs> I was going to get eaten by a bear. Right? As do I. And so, right. And so what I would do is, so when I had to go to the bathroom, which was in an outhouse, I would yell, hey, bear, and I would make noise. And I would, there was this healthy anxiety. So anxiety is, a, is your fight or flight response. It's just overactive, right? So listen, there are good aspects of your anxiety. I want you to want to preserve yourself, right? It's self-preservation. Listen, Bill, if you do come across a bear on the trail, you're going to go into fight or flight. I hope you don't try to fight the bear. I hope you turn around and run, right? And that's a healthy, right thing to do. And so even with my OCD, there are times where, you know, listen, uh, if you give me a project or a task to do, you better believe that I'm not just going to meet the deadline. I'm going to exceed the deadline, right? Mm-hmm. You better believe that if you ask me to come up with a, a presentation um, about, you know, winged birds, it's going to be a beautiful presentation with graphics and pictures and this and that, right? And so I think the Lord is good enough to redeem those aspects that can be uh, used for harm, for good, right? It, it turns me into a really good employee. And so I tell 
couples, especially all the time, they say, oh, my husband or my wife is struggling with OCD. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be awful. They're never going to be the same. But what I say is they're still the same person. And there's a lot of ways that their uh, struggle can be used for good. And God is faithful to do that. Yeah, John, if I encounter a bear in the woods, I'm pretty sure I'm going to the bathroom <laughs> if you catch my drift. <laughs> All right, we we only have about ninety seconds left. At the end of your book, you you uh, you end it with the fourteen truths. Can you give us a uh, a little view of that from thirty thousand feet? I tell you what, I'll focus on one of them that I love. Okay, and it kind of goes back to what I just said. You got to understand a proper theology of suffering. We don't do that well enough in the church today. Mm. And so, what that means is anything you go through, God is not causing it. He's faithful enough to redeem it, and he's going to use this for your good and his glory. We know that because of the scriptures, and I outline them there. And so here's what I tell people. Do not judge God by your circumstances, but rather judge your circumstances by who you know God is. Mm-hmm. You know that he's not evil, and he's not causing this, and he's going to use it for your good and his glory. Yeah. And I unpack that in detail, and so I'd love people to just take that nugget with them. Thank you. You've been a delight, John. So glad you came on the show. Thanks, Bill. Really appreciate it. You bet. John Seidel's been my guest, and his book is Finding Rest. Debut, It's debut book. Very excited. The Survivor's Guide to Navigating the Valleys of Anxiety, Faith, and Life. We'll take a short break and be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.